O Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. During the month of August, we've been journeying through several different stories in the Bible about people who find themselves lost. Either like the prodigal son, they get lost because they think they're old enough to get out on their own and they get distracted by all that the world has to offer and find themselves with nothing to show for it and slinking back home in hopes of receiving some forgiveness and finding a father not only willing to forgive, but to throw a party for the lost child who comes home. The second week, we read a story about a lost disciple who, because of his own commitments to his own ideology and who loses and begins to doubt that Jesus is who he says he is, not only loses his own faith, but ends up betraying the one that he loved the most. But then we also saw that Judas wasn't the only disciple who got lost. All the others also fell away and in fear and in uncertainty abandoned Jesus in the moment that he needed him the most. And yet we see Jesus after his resurrection forgiving and welcoming them back into the faith. But today's reading is something of a different sort. Because the person who gets lost in today's reading has every right to get lost. Because in today's reading, we hear of a slave who runs away from his master. Now to our modern ears, the idea of slavery, and particularly the idea of a Christian holding people as property seems to be a distant and archaic evil. And when we read this letter, we are challenged with the idea of what does it mean that a wealthy, powerful Christian owned another person? And what exactly is Paul's asking him to do? So the lost slave named Onesimus is someone that we should look to with every sense of understanding. I'm glad you got lost. And yet I want us to look again to see something deeper that I think Paul is teaching us here in his letter. At the very least, it's one of the few chances I get to preach a whole book of the Bible in one sermon. Now I guess I could do that on every Sunday, but I doubt you'd come back. But Philemon, in its entirety, is just 25 verses, not even a chapter. Just Philemon, verse 1. And because of its brevity, I, I want to walk through it like a Bible study. So imagine we're all sitting around the table in my study, and we're going to read this together as a Bible study. In fact, if you want, I know it's not very Methodist, you can go ahead and pull that Bible right out and put it on your lap as we walk through the Scripture today. Paul begins this like most of his letters. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, with Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn in this opening verse of this letter that Philemon is the head of a church. Uh, we know from other contexts that he lives in Colossae and is the head of a household church that meets in his home. He is the senior pastor of the church in Colossae, a church that Paul has founded and left Philemon in charge of. Philemon, we also get the sense, is a successful businessman. He's wealthy. Not only is he a leader in his church, he's a leader in his community. He is successful and wealthy, and he has received a letter from Paul. Now, this wasn't necessarily uncommon, but when you received a letter from Paul, you were excited because Paul was going to teach you something or encourage you or instruct you or build you up or, yes, sometimes on occasion correct you. But Philemon had every sense of gratitude to receive a letter from Paul. And like most other letters, he would have understood that it was not just to him, but to the whole church. Again, Paul says, I'm writing to you, to Aphia, to Archippus, and to the church in your house. The idea that Philemon would have gotten from this is, you're going to gather everybody in on Sunday and read them this letter. And then Paul says, when I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints, your faith toward Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. Paul likes Philemon. And Philemon has done a good job running the church. You always like it when your boss sends you a memo or an email that says, good job, keep up the good work. In, in fact, we get a sense from this that Philemon not only has been helpful in the church in Colossae, he has used his wealth to help the church around the region. This little phrase here that gets translated, you have refreshed the hearts of the saints, is a, is a Greek phrase, it's an idiom, that doesn't really translate well. It literally means you gave money to other people. Thank you. Philemon is generous, not only with sharing his faith, but sharing his wealth. And because of that, many people throughout the region have come to know Jesus as Lord. And Paul says, imagine all the good works that we will be able to do because of your faith and your generosity. But have you ever gotten the sense that you're getting buttered up? Ever gotten the sense that somebody is praising you and they're about to ask you for something? Now Philemon, I imagine, has had this experience before. Because when you're wealthy, people say, when you're wealthy, people ask you to use your wealth for good things. Surely Philemon might expect, okay, Paul's about to ask me for some money. Don't you love it when the preacher gives a money sermon, right? 
But hear this. Paul writes, For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Onesimus. I imagine when Philemon heard that name, he flashed with anger. Paul is writing to him about a runaway slave. Now, we don't know why Onesimus ran away. I can imagine many reasons if I were enslaved that I wouldn't want to do that. And it doesn't really matter why, because Philemon is probably upset. Something might have been stolen, right? Onesimus might have stolen something from Philemon on his way out. Or just the lost labor has been tantamount to theft. As Onesimus has run away and whatever service he was doing for Philemon is now left undone or has to be done by one of his other servants. And somehow, through some twist of fate, through some good or bad luck, or perhaps even some providence, this runaway slave from Colossae has run all the way to Rome and bumped in to the greatest missionary of the Christian church. And because Paul never lets a good opportunity go by, Paul has preached the gospel, baptized this slave, and has welcomed him as his own child. Talk about a God moment. Talk about bad luck. Talk about good luck. And Paul now has decided to do something tremendously radical. He is sending Onesimus back to Philemon with a letter. And Paul writes this, Now I know that he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, I am sending my own heart back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary, not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. Now, I know you probably don't think of Paul as being a comedian, but he made a little joke there, and none of us ever get the joke anymore. And I feel bad for Paul, because I think he probably thought it was pretty clever. 
He says, I know your slave has been useless to you, but he's been very useful to me. And here's the joke. Onesimus' name means useful. Paul made a little joke there for Philemon because he knows Philemon is probably beat red with anger at the moment. And he says, look, I know he hasn't been very helpful to you, but he's been helpful for me. In fact, you know, I've been in prison here and I haven't really seen you, Philemon, but you know, I just assumed he was here on your behalf. But you know what, Philemon? I know the law, I know the rules, I know the customs, I know I need to send him back. And I could command you, but I don't want to take the opportunity from you to make a voluntary decision. You see, Paul knew the law. He knew the rules. But he holds out the opportunity that Philemon might be able to show the church something countercultural. That he might welcome his slave back, not as a servant, not as a runaway not as a thief, but as a brother. Paul does not want to force reconciliation, but rather gives the opportunity for Philemon to show this to the church. And then Paul says this, So if you consider me your partner... Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about you owing even me your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Now, Paul, Paul's pretty sly here, right? Now, Paul, again, remember, Paul is a trained lawyer, right? That was his vocation, his training prior to his conversion. He knows the law, not only Israelite law, but Roman law. He knows what he is asking Philemon to do comes with a financial interest. The law said that if a runaway slave leaves his master, that slave begins to incur a daily debt for all the lost work that he has stolen from his master. Every day that Onesimus was gone, he was running up a debt. The law also said that if you harbored a slave, that debt was transferred to you. You now owed that daily debt. Furthermore, if Onesimus had stolen anything, money, food, clothing, he also owed that back with interest. Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. If he owes you anything, I'll pay it. But then, of course, saying, oh, and don't worry about all that you owe me. That's just water under the bridge. Paul challenges this 
Christian slave owner to defy the conventions of his day. To forgive and receive back a lost slave. To refuse financial reparations, mindful of what he owes Christ. And to go even further than just welcoming him back, but in generosity, welcoming him as a brother. The lost slave has returned. And now Philemon is challenged. What is he willing to lose in order to gain Christ? Then Paul writes what is my favorite part of the letter. One more thing. Prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping to come see you. Guess who's coming to dinner? I imagine Paul is simply reminding Philemon that even though this is all up to you, whatever you want to do, don't forget, people will see what you do. I'll see what you do. Christians hold one another accountable. We are family. And if you're preparing a room for me, seems like you've got a room available for Onesimus. So, what do you think Philemon did? We don't really know. We don't have a follow-up letter that Philemon writes Paul back, says, uh, forget it. Nor do we have any kind of letter that writes back that says, I've been so wrong, Paul. Thank you for opening my eyes. All we have is this letter. In many ways, that's proof enough that Philemon honors Paul's request. Because Philemon could have just easily have torn this thing up, put it in the trash, and said, you know, we hadn't heard from Paul for a while. Hope he's okay over there in prison. But the fact that he didn't suppress it, I think is indication that he received this letter. That he gave up his claims to legal and righteous authority. And that in losing a slave, he gained a brother. One other thing, a story from a tradition that's not in the Bible, so it's okay if you don't want to believe it, but I love this. In part of the historical record, where we learn that Timothy, remember Timothy, Paul's traveling companion, he writes a couple letters to Timothy. Timothy eventually becomes the bishop of Ephesus, and Timothy serves well, effectively, and faithfully, but eventually dies. And the historical record indicates that when Timothy died, they elected a new bishop of Ephesus 
His name was Bishop Onesimus. Perhaps Philemon's lost slave became a bishop in God's church. Maybe when we give up, maybe when we lose those things we think bring us power and prestige and authority, maybe then we truly gain the freedom, the freedom of a forgiving Lord, the freedom of a growing family where there is neither male nor female, Gentile nor Jew, slave or free. If God were to write you a letter, what would he ask you to give up in order that you might gain all the more? And what would you do with that letter? Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks that you have spoken to us this day. We pray that we would not let your letter fall on deaf ears, but that what we would commit ourselves to hearing what you would teach us to say. If there are things in our life, Lord, which we have held on to for too long, guilt or anger, grief or shame, perhaps holding on even to possessions that we can't seem to give up, and yet we know are holding us back from deeply receiving your forgiveness and your mercy. If there are those of us in our lives that have wronged us that we cannot seem to forgive, let alone welcome back as family, we confess that to you now. Help us, Lord, to realize that sometimes in losing things, our hands are freed up to receive even greater things from you. And the greatest thing that we have received is the gift of your son Jesus who came to live and to die and to live again that we too might live. Help us to walk in that way as we unite our hearts and voices together with the prayer he taught us to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.